Hey, welcome back to Bible Stories for Heathen Children. I'm Robbie. Today I've got a story about Nehemiah, a guy who helped to build a big wall around the city of Jerusalem. Now, I know walls have a justifiably bad image these days, what with certain people trying to build a big border wall between the U.S. and Mexico, specifically designed to target Latinx immigrants. That's where I expect my kids' thoughts to go when they hear the word wall. However, the wall in today's story was from a different time where cities were smaller and possibly near a bunch of enemies who would come in and steal everybody's stuff or enslave people, like uh, lots of cities all attacking each other all the time, apparently. So the wall could help keep the inhabitants of the city safe from surprise attacks and raids at night, and also it could protect people from marauding bands of wild wolves or lions. There are people in this story who are hateful to minorities and they're like totally against the wall because it'll make it harder for them to hurt people. So like I said, in an ancient city, a wall is a different situation. So this story is more about a bunch of neighbors banding together to keep each other safe, which is a goal I hope you can identify with. Well, back to Nehemiah. He was an important guy in the court of King Artaxerxes, the king of Persia. Nehemiah and Artaxerxes lived in the city of Susa, where the story about Esther took place. This all happened after the Babylonian exile, when the, which was, you know, when the stories of Daniel were about. Although uh, Artaxerxes was actually a real historical figure, and um, like most of the other characters in these stories, like Daniel and Esther, aren't in any historical texts, so there's no evidence that they actually existed. Think of the Bible stories as an AU, or an alternate universe version of Babylon and Persia. Nehemiah was also in the AU version of Persia. So in this story, Nehemiah is the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes, the king of the Medes and Persians. And the cupbearer was a trusted servant who would make sure no one could poison the king's food or drink, hence, you know, cup. So he was around the king a lot. And he would, like, watch over the food and taste the food and that type of stuff. Uh, this story takes place after the people of Israel had been taken away from their homeland, mostly as slaves, and most of them had never been home again. Like Daniel, some of them did okay. Many of them died, though, and almost all of them suffered a great loss of cultural identity and, you know, their homeland. And a lot of them lost their inheritances of land, although some stayed rich and used their wealth to buddy up to the oppressors and take away from the poor Jewish citizens. We'll hear about them. Anyways, Nehemiah was Jewish, and he was concerned about how Jerusalem was doing. Some people, a small remnant, had been able to go back home. He was worried it wouldn't be safe. His dream was for more people to go home safely. Nehemiah's brother had been there, and he'd seen the attempts to live there and reclaim the city, and he told Nehemiah it was not going well. The city was mostly destroyed, the walls were reduced to rubble, the gates had been burnt to ashes, there was famine, the rich took advantage of the poor who were always in danger of starvation, and the people who tried to live in Jerusalem were unprotected and vulnerable to attacks. Nehemiah was heartbroken by this news. He felt sick from how sad and worried he was. Perhaps you felt like this before. Have you ever been so sad you felt like you were sick? He probably hadn't thought returning from exile would be easy, but the news was still bad. He wanted to do something. He prayed that God would forgive people for their sins and help them back to safety in their home. But like, that's praying, that's not really doing. Uh, and that's what Nehemiah thought too. That's more him deciding his intentions and hoping God would be on his side. Well, while he thought about what he could do, he still had to go about his daily business of taking care of the king's food and drink. And the king saw him. He had never seen Nehemiah looking sad before. 
King Artaxerxes said, What's wrong, Nehemiah? You don't look like your usual self. You don't seem sick, though. You seem, like, sad. You seem heartsick. And then Nehemiah was kind of afraid to speak up and tell the king what was going on, but he did anyways, because he was talking to, like, the one person who had the power to help him, or if this conversation went badly, you know, completely crush him and his dreams and his whole existence. So he said, uh, King, may you live forever. It makes sense for me to be sad when the city of my ancestors is in ruins of ash and broken stone. And the king's like, okay, what do you want? And, uh, you know, you've heard people say, go big or go home. Well, Nehemiah wanted to go big and go home. <laughs> it's a joke. Oh, so, so Nehemiah says, uh, I want to rebuild the city. That's like a big goal. That's like a really big goal. But he didn't just have a ridiculously big dream. He had specific ideas of how to achieve that dream. So he asked the king for permission to go. He asked for letters that he could present to governors of the districts between Susa and Jerusalem so he could have safe passage. And he asked for letters from the king so he could show them to the right people to get supplies like timber to help rebuild the walls and gates of the city and keep people safe. And King Artaxerxes said yes to all of that. So uh, Nehemiah headed toward Jerusalem with some soldiers to protect him and some important letters. And then, like, some guys, we'll be hearing from them again, they weren't happy about this. They were called Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite, and they had some other friends too. And they heard someone was coming to try to make things better for the Israelites, and that made them really angry because they were, like, benefiting from the oppression of the poor Israelites. And also, I guess they're just hateful jerks. Well... Nehemiah got into town, and, like, nobody knew why he was there. There's some important visitor from the king. What's he doing? We don't know. So he went poking around secretly at night, trying to see what all needed repaired. So he snuck out of the valley gate, and that needed repair. And then he went alongside the wall as far as he could. The dung gate needed repair. The fountain gate needed repair. The walls all over the place were just broken bits of rock, not really walls. It was a real fixer-upper situation. He knew it was pretty bad, so. He went back and he told the city officials, you can see that Jerusalem needs repairing, but we can rebuild it. God's on our side and the king is on our side. This was his Bob the Builder moment. Can we build it? Yes, we can. Then the officials got really excited. Let's start rebuilding right away, they replied to Nehemiah. But Samballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite and some new guy, Geshem the Arab, they all heard about this plan and they tried to make trouble. They're like, uh, hey, are you planning to revolt against the king? This is a common tactic in these stories. The people with power try to tell the kings that the minorities are a huge threat. But Nehemiah is not worried. That's like, that's not what the story does. So he says, um, he tells them that God was with him, Nehemiah, and the Jews, and they'd build the wall back, and it really wasn't any of Samballat's business, because it wasn't Samballat's city, and it doesn't have anything to do with him. But he was still mad, though, but Nehemiah didn't care. He just organized the builders. So next comes a lot of lists, and actually, they're, they're kind of interesting lists. They are lists of all the people who worked on what gate. And you know, you can go read the book of Nehemiah if you're interested. I'm not going to say everybody's name, because it won't mean very much to you. It doesn't mean much to me. But uh, some families worked on the sheep gate, and others worked on the fish gate and all the walls around there. 
The poorer families all built what they could. But the rich families didn't lift a finger to help, and I guarantee you Nehemiah noticed that. So uh, some people rebuilt the old gate and the wall near there. Though it seems to me all these gates are old gates. And then this guy, he his usual job is making delicate things out of gold, and he was working his booty off rebuilding the wall. And another guy whose job is making perfume and nice-smelling things also helped. Priests and teachers helped. Merchants helped. Most men who could work also brought their sons to help work. But if they didn't have sons, they brought their daughters. After all, they all lived there, and the wall would help protect everyone. They all started to work on whichever part of the wall was closest to their houses, and working together, they made a lot of progress. The rich nobleman didn't help, though. When Sam Ballot heard they were actually doing the work, he was mad. He walked around the workers, sneering, They think they can build this wall. Can they bring burnt stones to life from these heaps of rubble? And his buddy Tobiah was like, Ha ha, yeah, if even a tiny fox tried to climb on what they're building, the wall would fall apart. Ha ha. And Nehemiah just ignored him. He prayed that God would pay them back and then just kept working. And they got the wall about half built because everyone was working with all their heart because they believed they were doing good work. And then uh, Sam Ballot, that bully, he saw that they hadn't lost heart and they were closing up all the big gaps in the walls and it was starting to get taller. And he said he would send people to attack them. If they didn't stop, he'd make them stop. He figured he could have some guys sneak up and attack the workers before they knew what hit them. He absolutely did not want the Jews to be protected inside their wall. Well, I don't think Nehemiah was supposed to hear about this plan from Sanballat, the super savvy strategist. But I guess Nehemiah had some cleverly placed spies, or maybe Sanballat just ran his mouth too much because Nehemiah heard about it. And they didn't stop building. Although they may have slowed the pace a tiny bit, because Nehemiah had some guys stationed by the workers with weapons. They had swords and spears and bows and arrows, so they would be ready for an attack. And then the workers all worked with, like, a sword strapped onto their side. And they always had their weapons at the ready, because the wall wasn't built. And their enemies knew they only had a short time if they wanted to attack, you know, while the people were vulnerable without having to worry about a big wall in the way. And so all of those who could fight always had their weapons with arm's reach, even like at dinner, even when they were like sleeping, their weapons were right there. But the next threat did not come from outside the walls they were fixing. It came from the inside. The people were hungry. You can't build a wall when you're hungry. So some people came to Nehemiah and said, help us get food so we can survive. And some said, we've had to mortgage our fields and our homes so we could afford food. And some said, we had to take out a loan just to pay taxes. And some people said, we had to sell our own children to slavery to survive and we can't get them back because we already sold off our fields and vineyards trying to survive before that. Now in Israel, there wasn't a shortage of fields and vineyards. I don't know that there was even a shortage of food. It's unclear. The problem in this story is money. The common people doing the hard work didn't have the money because the rich people who, you know, again, the text says were not even doing the work, they kept cheating the poor people. They were charging them a huge amount of interest on loans and they were taking over their property and then they had more money and they used that to get even more money. And, well, the people with less money got even less because they were having to pay interest on these loans. And once they'd had to sell their property, they couldn't even grow food for themselves on that land anymore. The rich people had the land and were growing food on it and then selling it back to people. 
like how are the how are they supposed to get back on their feet in this situation? So Nehemiah was furious. He called a big group of all the rich people, the noblemen, the officials, and the government, and he said, um, all of you are charging your countrymen interest. We have been trying to buy back our countrymen who were sold to foreigners, and you've been selling them, and we have to buy them back again. And uh, that's what was happening. And when he put it like that, there wasn't really anything they could say about it, so they just kept quiet. And he said, this is not okay. Nehemiah said, we can loan them money and food, but we don't need to charge interest. I haven't been charging interest. They all stayed quiet still. Nehemiah said, return their fields to them and their vineyards and their houses and pay them back any interest you charge them. And to the officials, he said, stop charging so many taxes just so you can be ridiculously rich while everyone else is starving. And they actually agreed to do that. Everyone else agreed to give back the money that they had charged interest or the food they had taken as interest and the property. And uh, Nehemiah made them take an oath that they would do that. And then they actually did it. Nehemiah actually became the governor of the whole land of Judah for 12 years, starting in this time period. Most governors like tax the people really heavily, but Nehemiah did not do that because it was too big of a burden for the people. So meanwhile, after sorting out this issue and, you know, getting people food, meanwhile, they did get that wall finished, though they hadn't put all the doors back in the gates yet. And then uh, Sanballat and his buddy Geshem sent a message to Nehemiah saying, hey, you should come have a meeting with us outside of your wall on our turf this is a great plan and nehemiah knew that like this was definitely a trap so he replied no i'm really busy on an important mission and i cannot come then sambalat sent the same exact message three more times and nehemiah sent the same reply three more times i'm really busy doing this important work and i can't come so then sambalat sent a fifth message that said so we thought you should know there's a rumor that you are planning to rebel against the king, and that's the real reason you built a wall. And you know the king might hear this rumor from somebody, so you should have a meeting with me about this. And Nehemiah said, I know where that rumor came from, Samballot. It came out of your own head. But that wasn't the end, because someone else sent an urgent message to Nehemiah, and it said, hey, people, we don't know who, but you know, people are going to kill you tonight, so you should hide in the temple. But Nehemiah is not a priest, so he's not really supposed to just go to the temple just to hide to save his own life. And so uh, he knew that was just like a plot from Sam Ballot to make him look bad, so he said no to that too. And then actually only 52 days after they started, the people finished the wall. But there was more trouble with the noblemen because one of Sam Ballot's buddies, Tobiah the Ammonite, was related by marriage to some important nobles and the nobles kept spying, like the rich people and the people in positions of power, they kept spying for Samballot and Tobiah. And they kept talking about what a great person Samballot's buddy Tobiah was. Well, he couldn't end all of those issues in a day, but Nehemiah did find out that the high priest had given this guy Tobiah, who's not even an Israelite, a room in the temple, like in the temple, like where they worship God. Uh, obviously, that's not like in accordance with the rules. So Nehemiah threw all of Tobiah's stuff away. He like went into the room and he just tossed everything. And he said, Tobiah is not staying in this temple anymore. And then he had it all cleaned. And then Nehemiah found out that the officials who had been taxing people so heavily 
they weren't even giving basic portions to the priests that the priests were supposed to get. So the priests couldn't actually do the priest work because they had to, you know, be working for food. So uh, he fixed that. And then he found out that the high priest's son had actually married Sambalit's daughter. Oh, so he got rid of the high priest's son, too. But I don't think he could just get rid of the high priest. So he prayed to God to take care of that whole mess. And uh, in the meantime, a whole bunch of exiles came back and they started building houses in Jerusalem so that people could actually live in Jerusalem. And then they had a big dedication party and they had found the books of the law. Apparently they'd been lost. I guess that's what happens when you don't, you know, pay for your priests to do priest work. Anyway, they found these books and Ezra the scribe got up and he read all the books of the law that Moses had written. And if you guys remember anything about Moses, you'll know that a lot of those stories that Moses wrote, like from the really early parts of the Old Testament, like there was a lot of instructions for daily life, but also a lot of stories that were just really important to the people. And um, when Ezra read these things and Nehemiah and the other priests explained that what he was reading to the people, the people started weeping and crying and mourning. And I don't exactly know, but I feel like maybe it's because they thought they should have had access to these stories and these words all along and they had lost it. Well, I say books of the law and like law sounds kind of dry. And you know, honestly, I think some of it's dry personally, but some of it's really interesting and good instructions for how to live in society. Like that if you grow food in a field or orchard, you shouldn't harvest every last bit of the crop. You should leave some around the edges or, you know, what doesn't come off the tree the first time. Leave that for people who are poor and don't own a field or orchard so that they can pick it, take care of their family, and no one will go hungry. And that's like God's commandment to the people that has been passed down in this text. Uh, another one was that every loan should be forgiven and every slave should be set free every seven years. And of course, there's the rules about, you know, giving harvests to uh, the Levites, giving portions to the Levites, the priests who work at the temple. So I kind of wonder if they wept because it was sad to them that they, well, they, it's sad that they'd ever been exiled for the country and that they'd lost these books. And um, also maybe, you know, this information would have come in really handy a long time ago and not following the laws in these books had harmed most of their society. But Nehemiah said uh, not to weep and don't mourn because this is actually a holy day. It's not the kind of day that's holy and set aside for fasting and weeping and mourning. There, there, I think, is some days like that. But this is a kind of holy day for having a big party, a holiday, if you will. I think that's where the word come from. But like, I don't know, maybe they didn't know how to party because Moses actually told them how to have these celebrations, which is mostly to eat a lot of food and drink good things and send presents and food to all your friends and you know, get together in big groups you know, if there's no pandemic. But that's okay, because Nehemiah filled them in on, on everything Moses said. So they did that. Uh, um, then they kept also getting together to listen to Ezra read the book of the law and uh, celebrate those things. And after all the celebrating was over, they dedicated the wall and the new gates and stuff by having a big parade with singing and music. And uh, they walked all around the city. They walked up and down the steps of every gate, walking around every gate, and looking at all the different parts of the wall they had built. <laughs> Can you imagine, like, hey, I put that stone right there. Oh, look, I built this one. And everyone was really excited, and everyone was talking and laughing and singing and celebrating, and they were playing instruments. They were all so excited that you could hear the sound of their joy from miles and miles away. And so, 
They rebuilt the wall to protect the people, and they resettled the land. They fed the people, they lowered the taxes on the poor, and redistributed the unfairly gained wealth of the richest citizens, and everyone lived happily for a good long while. So I think I'll be back in about three weeks for another episode. Thanks so much for listening to Bible Stories for Heathen Children. Our theme music is Wholesome by Kevin McLeod, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution. Until next time, shine on, star child!